Welcome to Transformational Pathways, a podcast created by Toastmasters District 46 in the greater New York area, where we share conversations from influencers within the Toastmasters community and people whose lives have positively transformed by walking down the Toastmasters path. Whether you're just getting started in your career, have had recent career changes, or you're navigating different languages, we're here to help you build confidence by discovering new tools, overcoming your fears to find your voice, and engaging in a thriving community. Enjoy today's episode. Hello! Welcome to another episode of Toastmasters District 46 Transformational Pathways Podcast. I'm your host, Scott Mason, and walking the pathway with us today is our guest, Lujana Abdul-Wahad. Lujana is an assistant professor of economics at the Cooper Union for Advancement of Science and Art. Her professional experience includes working as an economist in the macro fiscal policy unit at the Egyptian Ministry of Finance, where she was responsible for projecting the domestic and external debt and interest payments over the medium term. Prior to this, she was an economic researcher at the Cabinet of the Minister of International Cooperation in Egypt. She obtained her PhD from the University of Illinois at Chicago in 2019. She also obtained her bachelor and master's degrees in economics with highest honors from the American University in Cairo in 2008 and 2012. Lejana, welcome to the show. It is good to have you today. Thank you very much, Scott. Nice to meet everyone virtually. Yes, I gotta say... I'm trembling in my feet reading those credentials. I am genuinely impressed. Talk to us a little bit about your favorite thing relating to being an economist. Okay, so when I entered college, I was not supposed to go into economics at all. This is not what my friend imagined for me. Yeah, and then I took my uh, principles of macroeconomics class with an amazing teacher and I fell in love with economics. You know why? The reason I fell in love with economics is because it's so real. It's so tied to everything that we do. Right? So people always think mm. about economics as money, how to make money. But no, it's not like this. It's a way of thinking. It's how we make decisions. It's all about making decisions. So I thought it's very real. It's very connected to the world. And I decided that it's going to be my major. And I have been studying economics since then. And here you are today teaching a whole new generation of folks about that. Yes. And I like to use this approach of selling economics as a way of thinking. And I always stress in my classes about how we can use this approach of thinking um, in making decisions in our everyday lives. That's fascinating. Before we go a little bit more deeply into your background, talk to me a little bit about what that looks like. I I personally, as I mentioned in the pre-interview, have an interest in economics, but do I incorporate it into my day-to-day mindset? I like to think I do, but maybe I don't. I spent a lot of my life, and I'm sure a lot of people do this too, just reacting to things emotionally left or right. Why should anyone begin to think about economics day-to-day, and, and how do you even begin to do that? Well, tell me about something you bought this morning. I 
bought a... I'll pretend I bought a new pair of suspenders that I wore just for you. All right. How much were these? How much did you pay for these? Oh, am I... I, I can't say... I, I'm embarrassed to admit. Probably $60. <laughs> I'll say $60. $70 maybe. Okay. You paid $70 for this. But when you were paying the $70, how much did you imagine the benefit that you're getting out of owning this? When it comes to leather suspenders, it is a lifetime's worth. Okay, so you think that you gained more than what you paid for? Yes, yes, yes. Well, that's one of the principles of economics, right? We only make a decision if we're going to benefit more than what we're going to pay for it, right? Of course, what we pay for is very quantifiable. We know that you paid $70 for it, but your benefit out of it is not quantifiable. But we can try to quantify this. You actually did try. You said it's worth a lifetime of happiness, right? And this is <laughs> happiness, exactly. Yeah, this is probably so much more than $70, right? Uh, so, I have to admit, yes. Yeah, so your benefit out of buying this item is so much higher than your cost, and you made the right decision. You did apply one of the principles. <laughs> I love it. Now, Anyone that can tie my leather suspenders into an academic research or an academic discipline has my attention already. <laughs> Let me ask you this then. What are the economics of joining Toastmasters? If you are a young person who's just coming out of college or, or maybe getting out of grad school and, and entering your career. Hmm, that's a great question. I would... If I want to think about the economics of joining Toastmasters, I would use two principles. I would use the principles we just talked about, which is the benefit has to be higher than the cost, right? So the cost yes. for joining Toastmasters, we know what is the cost. Uh, the cost is whatever we have to pay for Toastmasters, international dues, club dues. Um, there is also a hidden cost for joining mm. Toastmasters, which is the time that we spend on this, mm. right? Because alternatively, we can be using this time to do something else. Yes. We choose to allocate this time for Toastmasters. So this is the cost side of it. But we do gain a lot of benefits out of it, right? So to me, the benefits is networking with a group of amazing people yeah. get to practice my public speaking which is something i do pretty much on daily basis for my job mm. get to think about how to write a speech how to make it interesting how to motivate listeners to be and engage them um, i also i am part of the one shy toastmasters which is an arabic club so i get to yep. practice my native language which i don't have a lot of opportunity to practice here in the u.s since yeah. most of my colleagues and friends are non-arabic speakers yes so all these benefits lead me to think that what i gain out of those messages is so much higher than the cost i put in terms of money or in terms of time uh, when i think about giving a speech so basically, how many speeches would I give in a given year? So now I have to think about what we call the marginal principle. So what's the additional cost of giving that speech versus the additional benefit I get out of this one speech, right? And I keep giving speeches until the additional benefits from giving speeches is just equal to the additional cost. And then this is when I stop. Right, which is a lot of speeches. I give a lot of speeches because I love talking. Yeah. So <laughs> <laughs> I do use economics uh, in thinking about my Toastmasters life, and I encourage everyone to think about using economics in this way. 
I have one other economics-related question. Hi. So, I'm a business person, and one thing that I think about a lot when I'm making decisions are the opportunity costs mm -hmm. of not making that decision or of making a decision not to spend money in particular or not to spend time on something. And as you mentioned earlier, Toastmasters is a financial commitment and a time commitment, among other things. Not oppressive, in my opinion, but it is it would be lying if we were to say that, oh, you join Toastmasters and you never spend a single second of your time going to meetings or prepping for speeches. And of course, it costs money. So talk to me a little bit about whether opportunity costs associated with not joining Toastmasters are ever part of your calculus or are they embedded in what you talked about earlier? Or how would you think about those if you were just a, a normal person who's trying to incorporate economic thinking into your day to day? Well, when I think about the decision, I think about the opportunity cost of this decision. So I think about the opportunity cost of joining Toastmasters. What is opportunity cost? We have to be clear about what is opportunity cost. Opportunity cost is what is the value of my second best alternative. Mm -hmm. So if, if I am not in a Toastmasters meeting now, what is the thing that I would mm. be doing? This is my opportunity cost, right? So if I am not in a Toastmasters meeting, I would probably be crying in my office because I am stuck <laughs> in getting a code to run. And I, I, I'd rather use my time to, I'd rather spend my time with fun people in Toastmasters and get some <laughs> mental break so I can go back to the code at night. So of course, I, I do think about my opportunity cost, but my opportunity cost of joining Toastmasters or being present on Toastmasters. I love it. Now, this podcast is both a video and an audio one. Uh -huh. And I've got to say, anyone listening to this will surely catch your infectious energy. But in this case, folks listening, just take a second of your time, swallow whatever opportunity cost there might be, and go to the video version. You've got to see the energy and positivity that Lujana absolutely radiates through the screen. And if there is any explanation as to what the benefit of Toastmasters can be, just that look on your face when you talk about it is is enough to convince me that there's a massive ROI in it. But let's not go into that right now. I'm going to switch the conversation a little bit and find out where this fun, dynamic person came from. Lujana, you're from Egypt. Where in Egypt are you from? How did, how did you come into this earth? Oh, okay. So I was not born in Egypt. I was born in Saudi Arabia, actually. But I am Egyptian citizen. I grew up in Egypt. This is where I went to school. This is where I did everything. This is where my friends are. Uh, my family is from Cairo. Our home is in Cairo. I went to school in Cairo and then I went to college in Cairo. I worked in Cairo. I pretty much lived in Cairo for, you know, one quarter of a century before moving here to the U.S. <laughs> so I moved here to the U.S. to start my Ph.D., uh, after I, I spent a lot of time uh, working and figuring out what exactly I want to do with my life, started my PhD. Somehow I finished it. It was a challenging <laughs> journey, but I am out of it. And I, I did my PhD in Chicago. So I lived in Chicago for these six years. Uh, amazing experience. I love, 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 love Chicago. And I joined actually Toastmasters for the first time in Chicago. And then I am, I consider myself new to New York because I moved right before the pandemic. So I had, you know, one of those Whoa. years at home. So I, I wow. have this year out of my life. <laughs> so I have been in New York for uh, 
you know, on 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 in calendar terms for two years, but in real terms for about six months. Fascinating. <laughs> so let's step back a little bit. First of all, we're going to talk about Chicago. Now, we only can say so many good things about Chicago because this is New York and we all secretly know we're better. We, we won't say that out loud, but I just did. <laughs> We're not going to edit it, but we'll just pretend I didn't say that. If anyone listening is from Chicago and they like it more, I'll just tell them they're wrong privately. All right. So, but Cairo, Cairo, Cairo is a big city. What was it like growing up in Cairo for those of us that have never been there and can only imagine what it might be like? Cairo is a huge city. You know, a lot of people think about Egypt as like desert and like camels moving around and think that we go to school on camels, but no, no. <laughs> Cairo is bigger than New York. So the population in Cairo, you know, during the day is about 20 million people oh. in that city. It's huge. It's crowded. A lot of cars, a lot of buses, a lot of individuals. <laughs> you know, they say New York is the city that doesn't sleep. Yeah. But I think Cairo really doesn't sleep. Like, really? Yeah, really, really doesn't sleep. There is like half an hour of silence in Cairo, and then the 23 and a half hours is active. Uh, <laughs> and what was it? What would tell us a little bit about your family, about your parents, and did you live in central Cairo itself, or did you live on the outskirts? Uh, what was your education like? What was it like being a schoolgirl in, in Cairo? And what's the education system like? And what'd you do with all those things? Sure. So my parents are both engineers. No. Um, I have three siblings that are all engineers. So I am the only anomaly in my family who didn't go into engineering. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, 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 I went to a girls only school in Egypt in oh. um, it's it's not exactly a suburb it's like at the edge of the city but it is still within the city boundaries it's called Heliopolis right. so it's very close to the airport i this is where i grew up i went to school there Every, all my life has been there um, the education system uh, we have 12 years of you know like just a K12 system like here yeah. um primary school, middle school, and then high school. I really enjoyed the education system in Egypt. I thought it was very good, but I think I'm saying this because I went to a private school, mm. uh, not public school. Public mm -hmm. schools in Egypt, unfortunately, are not where you're going to get proper education. Mm -hmm. uh, I was lucky enough to go to a private school and... I, I have always loved school. My favorite subjects at school were math. I loved math, um, probably because of my parents. And I ended up in economics, which uses a lot of math as well. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I, I loved math. I loved Arabic. I did uh. love my Arabic classes, even though Arabic is so hard. This is like, this is always the hardest subject in school, but I loved really? it. Yes, because Arabic is like, five different sub-subjects, you know, we have grammar, we have right. literature, we mm -hmm. have um, uh, reading, we have writing, and we have, you know, all, all the, the sub-parts of Arabic. And Arabic is complicated, you know, if you think about literature, for example, Arabic literature. We study right. literature from, you know, the, 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 the very ancient times, because Arabic is a very, very old language, right? Mm -hmm. So we start mm -hmm. with literature in, you know, the 500s uh, yeah. AC, and then yeah. 
move through time until we get to modern literature, which is the stuff that we're seeing, you know, right. in the past, like, well, 30 years, 40 years, right. right? So we study, you know, novels, poetry, everything, everything that is related to literature. So that's why Arabic is very hard. Plus the Arabic language itself, I think it's it's challenging. You know, it's one of these languages where gender is very important, right? And the verb mm. would differ significantly based mm. on gender, based on whether you're talking to singular or talking about a singular or right. two or more than two, right? Interesting. So the verb, the noun, everything is going to be very different. <laughs> so it was a lot to learn. Plus in Egypt... We talk Arabic, but we don't talk the classic Arabic or what they call the stand, modern standard Arabic. We talk mm. the Egyptian um, mm-hmm. dialect. Dialect. Am mm-hmm. I saying this right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yes. Which is very, very different than Arabic language. Fascinating. Yeah. Now, did you grow up with English, or was that something that you picked up at a different phase in your life? I did. Well, my school taught us English from you know from preschool you know like i i have been learning english from my preschool but my main the main language of instruction for most of my classes was arabic gotcha now talk to us about what it was like working in these very impressive jobs with the egyptian government and what made you decide to change tracks in your life not do those sorts of jobs forever all right so i started well, I had a, after I finished college, I finished, I was very unlucky. I finished college in 2008, December 2008, which is not a great time to be out of school because it yeah. was a recession time. But yeah. I was lucky to land a job within a few months uh, after college. But I didn't, I only stayed for it for like less than six months. It wasn't mm-hmm. what I wanted to do at all. And then I moved to the government. Um, I really loved the government jobs that I had. And the reason I really like the government job is in the government, I feel like this is the place where you actually have the most impact, right? Mm. Because all this work um, pulls into policy making things that will right. change people's lives, hopefully. Right. So that's why I really liked working for the government. I started working for the Ministry of International Cooperation. Ministry of International Cooperation was uh, responsible for uh, the relationships between the Egyptian government and donors, basically. So Egypt uh, borrows or get um, financial assistance or in-kind assistance from a lot of countries and a lot of international financial institutions like the World Bank, uh, the African Development Bank, the International Monetary Fund. So my job um, was basically working with the World Bank uh, and African Development Bank on all these um, deals that the Egyptian government had for financing development projects in Egypt. Uh, I stayed in this job for two years and then um, I decided to move to the Ministry of Finance because I wanted to do more technical work in the Ministry of Finance. Ministry of Finance is like the treasury here in the U.S. So it's responsible Ah. for fiscal policy. Um, just to define fiscal policy really quickly, it's everything that has to do with government spending or government revenue through taxes or resources. In in the Ministry of Finance, I worked worked in the unit that was responsible for projecting the government spending and government revenue in the future. You know, just predict what this is going to be. Gotcha. 
because you know policy is not a one-year thing policy has yeah. impact on the future right so yeah. we would basically look at what is happening now and w- what is the direction for policy and then predict what the numbers are going to be in the future right right, um, right. So this is what I did. I was responsible for the debt part, the government debt part of the projections. And this was, yeah, this was, I stayed in this job for a little over a year. And then I started my PhD. <laughs> and what made you decide to come to the United States, to Chicago of all places? Uh, I came to the U.S. mainly to start my PhD, if it weren't for if I, if I hadn't got accepted in an American university in the U.S., I wouldn't have left Egypt. Obviously, um, I got accepted in a lot of schools, but then I decided to go to the University of Illinois. Uh, I don't know if this was the best decision in my life, but it just <laughs> happened. I don't know. To be honest, I I, I didn't really get a lot of mentorship in terms of choosing program for grad school mm-hmm, mm-hmm. i mean i am i am the first one in my whole family and extended family to have a phd right um, yeah. my siblings Amazing. my siblings are younger than me they all have like master's degree but no one right. went to for their phds my parents had college degrees but they never went for any type of higher you know like more advanced education right my grandparents didn't know how to read or write right wow so, it's you know it's it's a progression so i i didn't really get i made the best decision that i had based on the information that i knew at the time and i ended up in university of illinois uh, it, it, it was it was a great school i really liked my department we had amazing faculty members it was a very very supportive uh, department Nice. Six years. I want to go back to just one day of these six years. Well, that was also pre-COVID. So life was really good at the time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So did my PhD. My dissertation had to do with foreign aid. So I it was more related to my work in the Ministry of Finance. Um, in the Ministry of Finance and Ministry of International Cooperation as well. Uh, so I worked on this dissertation with amazing advisor we're still collaborating on a lot of work uh, now and yeah i finished and then i moved to new york city very different life (laughs) but before you came to new york you up and decided to join toastmasters lujana there has to be a story there you didn't just wake up one day i assume and and say okay let me do toastmasters because i have nothing better to do and there's nothing motivating me i'll just wander into a toastmasters meeting and start talking what happened what happened in my last year in graduate school which is now you know three years ago I was looking for opportunities to practice talking before I go on the job market. I wanted to mm. practice talking about my work. I wanted to practice talking about my dissertation. Mm-hmm. I wanted to practice talking in public in general. I used to teach in grad school. So the fact that I'm in front of audience was not what yeah. scared me of talking, but just getting comfortable talking at the top of my head. You know, right. when you go to a lecture, you sort of prepare, you kind of know yeah. what you're doing. Plus, in a lecture, if you when you are the lecturer, you have sort of the upper hand, right? Mm. But when you are in, 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 in a job talk or even in, in like now in a podcast, 
I am not the motivator, right? I respond right. to what you say. So I, 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 this is the kind of thing that I wanted to practice. I, I, I ran into two semesters completely by chance. I just saw an ad on campus. Oh, Toastmasters club, mm-hmm. and I was like, oh, I don't know what's Toastmasters. I looked it up, and I'm like, oh, this sounds cool. This is probably a great opportunity to practice. Yeah. I wanted to join the club on campus in UIC, but the time didn't work for my schedule at all. Mm-hmm. Uh, but then I found that Toastmasters is something that is like in every corner. There is a <laughs> now world, right? Great. Yeah. So I joined, uh, I, I, I went to a meeting with the Next Step Toastmasters in Chicago. Great club. The first time I went there, I'm like, oh my God, this energy in the room. I want to come here. I want to come yeah. here every time. Uh, we had we had very we had great speakers in next step to semesters. Um, you know they they used to go to like competitions and wow. do a lot of things. Yeah, they were they were really really good. I remember one of them is called Sid. Uh, well, Sid is like his short name. I cannot pronounce his long name. It's kind of like it's yeah, it's hard. But everyone <laughs> called him Sid. But Sid was great well first of all he was super engaging the Mm -hmm. minute he steps you know the minute he stands up everyone just looks at Sid because he has he's such a charismatic person I'm like oh my gosh I want to be like him you know if I can talk in a job talk like how he's talking right now that is all what I want um we had a lot of other great speakers in this club uh and I had a great mentor as well um Shannon she was great great she helped me with my icebreaker and she helped me with basically all level one <laughs> she, yeah she 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 helped me with these speeches uh I, I I was very heartbroken when I was leaving Chicago because I oh. I thought I I thought I was really gonna miss next step those yeah. masters you know I was oh. done with school um and 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 for a while this you know I was just like packing and preparing to leave and the only thing that I was really committed for was next step those masters wow. so I that, was so sad <laughs> that is so beautiful you just gave the listeners a gift that I'm going to just start taking off that wrapping paper and, and, and unpacking so we could explore a little bit because there was a lot in that. First of all, I do intend just FYI to give Next Steps Toastmasters a shout out, even though they've made the mistake of being located in Chicago. <laughs> they can't help like that. City. Come on. <laughs> no, I will admit I love Chicago. It's incredible. And I'm sure the Toastmasters groups there I would love even more than the city itself. That being said, one of the things that you hear over and over on this podcast, and I just love hearing it, is about the warmth, the sense of connection and community that people find in Toastmasters. Especially, you're talking about being someone who was young from another country, presumably not surrounded by family members and other locals from Cairo that you might have had this instant community to bond out of, and and getting that sense of family almost a minute you walk through the door i love hearing that first of all and and i'm going to ask you to comment on that in a minute in a minute if you see fit but i just i have to say something about that because it's, it's just such a beautiful thing to experience over and over again in this podcast the other thing that i am well, one of two other things that's interesting you mentioned that you didn't have a mentor because of familial history in terms of 
picking your academic um location that you ultimately ended up in. And as someone who also didn't have a mentor, I can completely relate to that. And I'm sure many, many folks watching or listening to this podcast can relate to that. Yet in Toastmasters, we have a mentoring program. And you talked about briefly mentoring occurring there for you. How was that mentoring process for you? And do you feel like that is anything that someone that might be considering Toastmasters should think about when they're making a decision about whether that's an organization that's right for them. All right. So I never knew what mentoring formally is. My advisor was, so is this still sort of my mentor when it comes to like academic world, but I never actually knew what a mentor is before joining Toastmasters. Yeah. Uh, I was assigned a mentor, you know, I, I, I wasn't really aware of the culture or anything, so they told me, the VPE, and next step told me, oh, you know, Shannon can be your mentor. I was like, yeah, yeah sure. I don't know what is gonna what she's going to do for me, but yeah, sure, whatever. But then, once we started working together, I really, really appreciated the idea of having a mentor. Mm-hmm. She wouldn't, like, write my speech, of course, or she wouldn't even, like, you know, like, correct my speech but she would like read it beforehand and just be like well i think you might want to think about the introduction just a little bit more you know she she would give me some tips and then after i delivered the speech in the club we would talk a little bit about what what her what how she perceived the speech and i thought that was very helpful she never told me what to do she was always recommending stuff and, you know, I, she was a very, very experienced Toastmaster, so that's why her recommendations were always, like, great to take. But no. at the same time, I never feel obliged. It was not the relationship of, like, oh, I have to satisfy Shannon, so I need to do this stuff. No, it was never like this. She never made me feel this way. And that's why I felt super comfortable working with her. And I think this is what a great mentor is, right? No. Support you, but they never tell you what to do. You're, you're, no. you're the master of your decisions at the end of the yes. day, right? Yes. Uh, so that was a great, great, great experience. And yeah, she, she always had great ideas. She would always listen. Um, even sometimes she would make recommendations and then I say something like, yeah, but I don't think that this is appropriate for this type of speech because of one, two, three. And then she would think about it a little bit more or she would see me doing what I decided to do. And then she would be like, oh, you know what? You probably what you did made more sense or something like this. So it's the fact that it wasn't a sort of a boss employee relationship. Yeah. Yeah. Made, made it more of like conversational. She would suggest something and then she would think like, Oh yeah, that you were probably right. It's not going to work. Or I try something she did and then, yeah, that worked really well or did it work, you know? So I, yeah, that, that mentorship experience is great. In, um, in, in my, I, I am, Right now, I am part of two Toastmasters, so I am in Diwan Shai Toastmasters, and I am also in uh, Talk of the Towers Toastmasters. Um, Talk of the Tower Toastmasters, uh, I I was v- Vice President of Membership last year, and uh, part of my um, pathways was, you know, to hold a seminar, and we actually did hold a very nice seminar about mm. mentorship in Toastmasters. And, I love it. Yeah. Uh, I, I wish I had recorded this because we had great guests. Well, all the guests were 
club members. So we had the VPE, uh, we had uh, a, a, someone who mentored someone and someone who was a mentee. So everyone shared the experience. I thought it was a great, great seminar. I, I, I regret not recording it, but I think I want to do the same idea again for Diwan Shay since I am the uh, VPE for this year. I love it. I love it. And talk to us a little bit more about the multilingual club or the bilingual club that you're part of. I don't think that that's something a lot of folks are aware of that Toastmasters offers. And I'd be curious to know why you chose to join that and how it has impacted you. Sure. So I... Before moving to New York, I didn't know that Toastmasters can have like multilingual clubs. Mm-hmm. I joined Talk of the Towers first. Uh, and then actually before I joined Talk of the Towers, I was just like trying our clubs and seeing what works the best for yeah. my schedule yeah. and my taste too, right? So yeah. Club cultures are, are very different. Yep. And then I ran into Osama. Uh, Osama Prior was, guest on this podcast, yes. Yeah. <laughs> and he 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 told me, oh, we're starting this Toastmasters club in Arabic. And I was like, oh, I don't think I speak Arabic that well, but I'd love to practice. You know, when I say I don't speak Arabic that well, I mean the modern standard Arabic. I obviously speak right. Egyptian perfectly. So I got so excited and I went to the first meeting. Uh, we have our meetings in a little tea caddy, like our president has her tea company. It's really cute oh. office in. <laughs> wow, in, I love it. Uh, I know. That's yeah. a selling point. <laughs> and, and it is Diwan Shay, so every time she treats us to tea, right? From oh my gosh. Selection, yeah. So, wow. <laughs> wow. Well, sorry, the word Shay in Arabic means tea. So yeah. Diwan Shay is like tea place or something I like love that. It. Yeah. Uh, so we, uh, I went there and again, I loved the energy in the club. You know, the club has people who are bilingual, like Osama mm-hmm. and I and, and many other folks. Um, Sarah, our president, uh, she's Japanese. Uh, she speaks English, but she's trying to learn Arabic, right? Amazing. So wow. Give speeches in Arabic. And wow. And then we have people who don't speak Arabic at all, so they give their speeches in English. Uh, so that's why it, it's, it, we, we are bilingual, right? So we run the club in both languages. So the Toastmaster would s- introduce speakers in both Arabic and English. Uh, when I give a speech in, in Arabic, for example, I, I reserve a few minutes afterwards to translate it to English mm-hmm. briefly. Mm-hmm. So people mm-hmm. who don't understand Arabic know what I'm talking about. We have an Arabic grammarian, English grammarian to... Um, you know, uh, look for uh, grammar usage and language structure in both languages. Uh, yeah, it's it, it, it's a great experience. I think um, bilingual clubs are great if you wanna improve your English. If you if you wanna improve either language, right? Wow. So if you're an English speaker and you're starting to learn Arabic, it's a good idea to hear people talking in Arabic. If you just moved here and your native language is Arabic, for example and you don't think your English is great, it's a great idea to connect Arabic with English and something like this. Applies to all languages, I'm pretty sure. I know that there are um, bilingual Spanish English, French English, Chinese English. I am pretty, pretty sure it's going to be super helpful uh, if if you're working on either language. Incredible. 
You know, one thing that you mentioned as you were talking about why you chose the two clubs that you're part of now is that you wanted to get a sense of the different flavors of the clubs. And that's something we haven't talked about on this podcast yet. But I think it's important for folks to understand, especially in a great city like New York, where there are zillions of Toastmasters clubs to match any conceivable need or interest that you might have. But they really do all have their own flavors. And, and I love that you, there's something for everyone in New York, whether it's restaurants or Toastmasters clubs. Talk to us a little bit about some of the different flavors that you experienced. What were some of the spices that you were tasting as you were walking around from club to club and experiencing them? So from a club to club, it can, it can really be a very, very different experience. Everything from the, the types of people who attend the meetings to even how the meeting is structured. Like, yeah. for example, in, in Talk of the Towers, we have all the speeches, then we have table topics, then we have the evaluations. In Diwan Shai, we have speech evaluation, speech evaluation, and then uh, table topics, for example. Yeah. Yeah, Some people yeah. start with table topics in the beginning. You know, yeah. there are all the different things that can happen. So the meeting can be managed very differently. Um the, 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 like I said before, the, the people who are part of the meeting, you know, you can have, you have um, these corporate clubs, for example, yeah. where people are part of the same group. So, yeah. um, you know, they have different culture from like clubs that are open for everyone, where people will be from very different backgrounds. Um, yeah. So... Uh, yeah, I think it's very important before signing up for a club is to actually shop around and find what what you think is best because it's very important to feel comfortable talking with these people because big part of Toastmasters is practicing. It's yeah. not the competition is something else. But what yeah. you do every single meeting is you practice. So it's important yeah. to practice with people that you feel comfortable with. You don't yeah. feel intimidated. You don't feel out of place. If you feel out of place, you're you're just not going to give any speech because you will always think that people are not interested. And this yeah. is not helpful for anyone. Yeah. Right? Yeah, so, it's so true. Yeah, I think it's very, very important to just find what you're, where you're comfortable. And... Where you're comfortable doesn't have to be where everyone is comfortable. That doesn't make any club good or bad. It's just different culture. Absolutely. Let's go back a little bit more even. You mentioned that the fear of speaking was never really an issue for you. And there is a stereotype that Toastmasters is only for those who are afraid of speaking. Now, I want to keep it clear. No one can help you conquer a fear of speaking better than Toastmasters. That's like, you know, that's the Toastmasters is the Wizard of Oz when it comes to that, and only without being fake. Toastmasters is the real deal. But that is only a small, it's a significant, but it's not the only part of the Toastmasters community. And you raise an issue that I'd like to talk to you about in more detail because A, you're the only guest that's raised it, but B, it's something that's real, which is that the nature of conversation for those who are looking for jobs is different than you might have when you are giving a speech or when you're in a control situation like giving a lecture. And what you were doing there was acknowledging that that's something that if we want to be in a job market that's competitive, it's a skill set we, we have to know. And so talk to me a little bit about how you came to that realization and what you would say to someone who is a job hunter 
And, and as, hearing this and saying, oh, I never thought about Toastmasters helping me that way. Okay, so I the reason I'm saying that fear of speech was not my problem when I joined Toastmasters is I joined Toastmasters in 2018, and I had already started teaching in my school in 2016. Right. Um, the first class I taught, I remember, uh, I didn't know. I walked the first day of classes, and I found myself in like an auditorium with 150 students sitting there. I swear my legs were shaking. Oh. <laughs> Not that because I didn't know how to speak in public, but I never spoke in front of 150 people in my life. <laughs> you know, all my work presentations had been like this, you know, 10 right. people. I went to like private college, and all right. my classes are 25 people. <laughs> But then, yeah, 150. So I, standing and speaking in front of a crowd is not a problem. But again, like what you what you mentioned correctly, where what is your role in this crowd yeah. really matters. So in a class, at the end of the day, well, my classes are never like, oh, hey, listen, because I am the teacher. My classes are always super interactive. But still... I am the instructor, so I am the one who's managing the class. I am the one who's moderating the class. I am the one yes. who's moderating the discussion. But then in a lot but this this is typically not the case in a lot of other situations. Right? I realized this when I did my first interview, which was before joining Toastmasters. I think this was, you know, it wasn't a real interview, it was sort of a mock interviews that we do in, in, in the PhD program, and I'm like Oh, I am not in control. You know, mm-hmm. I, I am just basically I, I, I have to entertain these people. But at the same time, I am not in control of how yes. to entertain them. So it, 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 it's very, very different. And I think this is when I, 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 I realized that I need to practice more speaking while mm. I am not in control. So the yeah. problem is not standing up and speaking in front of the crowd. The problem is where do I fit in this crowd? And yeah. and this is something very very important to you know to, to to think about it like who is the audience and what is your relationship to this audience which is something we learn in two semesters right yeah it's one of the things that you have to so think true. about when you write any speeches who is the audience what yep. do they wanna hear right yeah. and how do they wanna hear it absolutely um, so you know going to two semesters and starting to practice this like little icebreaker four minute speech you know yeah. it made me start thinking about these things and also seeing other people giving speeches and their styles of entertaining people and delivering their message um, really really helped me thinking about this uh, so I guess it's, it's, it's helpful for my job that involves a lot of talking but it's also helpful for my personal development so I think the next time I, for any reason if I have to go on the job market again not that I'm going in the yeah. short term but in the future if it happens yeah, anything can happen yeah. I think I think I I think I I, I I am now equipped and I have a venue to practice all the skills it takes to be on you know on the other side of the crowd yeah. right yeah. Yeah. Uh, so uh, yeah, no, Toastmasters is, is a great experience. Even if if you have a, a fear of public speaking, you should definitely start. Yeah. If you even if you don't, you should still practice being in different situations. You should practice table topics where someone throws a random question yes. at you and you have to respond or say yes. something. Yeah. You should practice 
thinking about the speech and delivering it. You should practice all these elective projects in two semesters. Yeah. Like I did the managing a seminar um, uh, project. That was that was completely new. I never prepared a seminar and invited speakers and did all that. I never mm. done this before. It was really cool. And now uh, with you know with the Zoom, I think Zoom, even though we're all zoomed out. But it gave us opportunities for, you know, to think about things like, for example, having a slideshow, PowerPoint yeah. presentation, and how this can support your talk, you know, how you can use it to make your talk better and more engaging and more in, in, informative. So there are a lot of skills that you can learn in two semesters uh, beyond just, you know, conquering your fear of public speaking. Yeah. And let's face it, we all may be zoomed out, but... It ain't going anywhere. <laughs> it's not. Let me ask you this. You are about to talk to a person who is behind you professionally, who you want to mentor. And they're trying to think about possible clubs that they could join or things that they could do on their free time. And Toastmasters is something that you want to recommend to them. What would be the thing that you say to a young person emerging in their career, just like you are emerging in yours, about the value that Toastmasters can bring to their lives and to their future? I would talk to them. You want me to have a conversation or you want me to just think about the script? <laughs> <laughs> you answer whatever way you feel is best. We'll just pretend this is a table topics question. All right, so table topics. Convince me to join Toastmasters. Uh, I'm 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 22 years old, just out of college, and I don't know what this has to do with making me successful. All right, you know what, Scott? The speaking is the most important skill in your whole life. It's even more important than writing. I know in college wow. they probably told you that writing is the most mm -hmm. important thing, but believe me, speaking is more important. Wow, because most times you're just going to be talking. Not everyone is going to read the material that you write, but yeah. everyone has to listen to you at least for two minutes when you introduce yourself. You should yeah. at least know how to introduce yourself in an engaging way and make people interested in you. So I think you should give two semesters a try. You should don't go to just one club because clubs can be very different. I highly encourage you to visit three or four clubs and just see how you feel about it and when you visit make sure to participate so if they are short in any role you can jump in you know can be a yeah. timer i mean why not yeah. you get to say a timer report at the end and yeah. you will be under the spotlight yeah. participate in table topics table topics are the most fun thing in the world they are um you might be voted the best table topics in my very first visit <laughs> to um one of my clubs, I was voted the best table topics. And you it, go. Yeah, <laughs> it felt really, really good. So uh, two specials will make you feel good. You will get feedback and you will be with very um, caring and supportive mm. community that will really, really help you uh, make a lot of progress. I absolutely love it. Now, I know for a fact don't even try and argue with me on this one. 
that anyone who watches or listens to this show is going to want to find out more about you. Who is this incredible woman? They're going to say to themselves, and I, I can't even take credit for it. You did it all yourself. How can people connect with you or where can they find out more about you or Cooper Union, what you're doing there or anything, anything? Well, you mean like contact information? Are you on LinkedIn or are you on the Cooper Union website or anything like that? Yeah. So I am I am I am on uh, I am on uh, LinkedIn. Um, if you want to know more about like my research work, uh, you can go to my website uh, com. <laughs> I love it. Good. Yeah. So this is if you're interested in some economic research, yeah, <laughs> please go there. Um, I'm also on Instagram. I really love to take pictures and edit them and post them. So you can find me at Instagram. I think my name is Lujaina Abdelwahid as well. And yeah, I'd be more than happy to connect and convince everyone that they should join Toastmasters and invite them to my two clubs. I love it. By the way, I'm going to use that as an excuse, as an excuse to tout the district's Instagram account too. So please look up District 46 on Instagram and, and just do connect in left and right. Lujena, it has been great having you on the show today. Thank you so much for joining us and sharing your story. For those of you listening or watching, if you enjoyed today's episode, be sure to subscribe and, and leave a review or a comment. And don't forget to follow District 46, like I just said on Instagram, but on LinkedIn and Facebook too, and Twitter as well. And if you're new to Toastmasters, check out Toastmasters46.org. That's Toastmasters46.org to learn more about us and visit one or more, as Lujana is suggesting, of our clubs. Because Toastmasters is where leaders are made. Thank you so much for joining us on Transformational Pathways. If you enjoyed today's episode or got anything out of it, please rate, review, and subscribe. And if you're interested in learning more about Toastmasters District 46, check out the link in the show notes below.